You're listening to KenCast. This episode was recorded in front of a live internet audience. And here's your host, Ken Cole. Hello, everyone. Welcome to KenCast Live. It's wonderful to see you today, whether you're joining live in the chat or if you're watching on replay or you're listening to the KenCast podcast. Thanks for joining us. And we have a very exciting show today. We're going to be doing a review of what has become a cult classic, especially for gamers. It's the 1989 film, The Wizard, starring Fred Savage. Uh, This is one that I think touches a lot of people in very personal and nostalgic places. And uh, today I thought it would be amazing to have someone come in and co-review this movie with me. Someone who's a movie expert and also someone who is a game expert. So we can get both sides of, of this. And I always appreciate his wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to introduce Strife the Warrior. Strife, how are you today? Ken, I'm doing great, man. I'm glad that uh, we've had finally have some cooler weather in Texas. Uh, how are things on uh, your side of the universe? Doing all right. Strangely foggy here in Southern California this morning. Strife, let's just start by diving into this movie. What is your first experience? How did you come across The Wizard for the first time? So this was, um, and I'm kind of dating myself here. This is when video rental was still a thing. Uh, before DVDs came out, uh, VHS, I must have been at least, it was before... 2000 for sure i must have been at least maybe eight or nine years old uh we had a a video shop uh, in our hometown and kind of give a perspective uh, the town i grew up in was 2000 people so to even have a video rental store was some nothing short of amazing because you know they had video even had video game rentals so uh you know every friday uh my parents would take me and my brother to the video store we get like a, a game rental and a movie rental so uh and one day we just kind of picked out the wizard and i think what drew, drew me to it was you know, because back then, uh, video game culture wasn't as popular as it is now. So to me, anything that, you know, had any kind of mention of video game, you know, I thought was really cool. So leading up to this uh, Ken cast, I rewatched it again yesterday for the first time in uh, it was 24 years, 25 years. Wow. So it was wow. very interesting now seeing it from an adult uh, perspective as well. Absolutely. And if I might ask, was it uh, VHS or DVD, the copy that you rented back? Oh, VH, uh, VHS. Maybe nice. the, I can't remember when DVDs came out, but we didn't we didn't really start having at least in our household. Uh, we didn't really start having DVD players, anything like that, at least until like 2001, 2002, I think. So nice. Well, uh, Strife, that's very interesting. I I remember this movie coming out um, in 1989. And this was a movie I really wanted to see because it had Super Mario Brothers three, which at the time. Uh, had not been released in North America and everyone was Mario crazy. Like Nintendo fever was at an all time high and the preview showed them playing super Mario brothers three. And so I was very intrigued for whatever reason. I didn't get to see it in theaters, but uh, my friends and I rented the movie on VHS tape. Uh, It must've been six months, nine months later and we watched it and we all really enjoyed it at the time. Uh, so today, though, we're going to look at it from, I guess, our perspectives now. Uh, what's the movie like? Do we do we enjoy the movie? What do we think of it as cinema? And then we'll also be looking at the gaming side of it and uh, what cool nuggets of gaming history are in there. What's the significance of the movie uh, in terms of gamers today? So, Strife, let's back up to the beginning of this movie because I know you just uh, watched it recently. 
it's a movie that's supposed to be, I guess, about video games, but it kind of isn't about video games. It starts off with uh, this shot on a road and you have this character named Jimmy, this this kid who is carrying a lunch pail and wanting to go to California. And let me just get your thoughts to the the whole setup of this movie and the premise of this movie and if it grabbed you. Yeah, it's um, it, I would say it definitely has a slow start. Like, because, um, and not to get too critical here, uh, because I've never worked in the industry or anything like that, but I felt like that opening shot dragged uh, dragged on, especially given, you know, back then how trailers and things were supposed to, like, sell a movie. Like, you know, that opening is definitely a hook. You want the audience to be hooked and whatnot. So, uh, but then once they finally started uh, talking more about the story and things like that, it started to make a little bit more sense. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I think once, like once after that, like that opening scene happened, then the movie kind of flows fairly natural, uh, throughout the rest of it. So, right. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That whole opening kind of sets up this idea that obviously we have, you know, kids that have issues. We have Bo Bridges as a father, Christian Slater is an older brother, Nick. And then we have Fred Savage, who is the absolute darling child star of that era. He's like a, a major superstar in the Wonder Years. He's the main character, Corey. And we can kind of tell that they all live in this sort of, I don't know, kind of broken home in a way. Like there's definitely things going on. We've had divorces and maybe remarriages and half siblings and maybe hints of some kind of tragedy recently. And so this is all kind of like sort of a serious setup. Did this, did you feel like this was good? Did you connect to this, these characters as the movie was starting? Um, at first, no, until they kind of just went deeper into it. Uh, now from a, uh, from an adult, I did, uh, just because I myself have PTSD and uh, the character Jimmy has uh, PTSD. So it definitely uh, makes sense. I've never, I have been... I guess mostly withdrawn as Jimmy was, but you know, you definitely feel like some kind of connection, at least, at least, at least for me with that character uh, for sure. And um, I think that it was very interesting that both in a, in a good, well, really in a good way that they didn't just have like this typical eighties family where it's just like everybody's together and things like that. You actually had, uh, you know, you had half brothers, half sisters, uh, you know, divorces, stepfathers, stepmothers and things like that. So I thought that was what, very interesting uh, way they went with it. And I think that also kind of gives movie part of its charm too, because it, you know, it shows no family is perfect. Right. And you know, now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking about movies that would come out now that might have a tie in to uh, a big video game franchise or company. And you're right. I think the temptation would be to show some sort of happy family. Like, uh, you know, maybe there are little silly things that are not right, or maybe certain people are annoying, but um, they certainly, I don't think, would deal with these huge issues, uh, really right. foundational, traumatic issues uh, that impact a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, some critics have said it's kind of similar to Rain Man because uh, Jimmy, who's the traumatized uh younger brother who will be the wizard uh he is put inside an institution by his mom and stepdad and then Corey goes and basically just breaks him out of there and they head into a hostess truck and they they run away because jimmy wants to go to california and that kind of sets off the the entire 
road trip aspect of this movie. So at this point, Strife, like, uh, wh- what are your thoughts on on the movie, uh, the tone, and really launching into this adventure? So first, I will say, and I'm probably going to get a lot of booze for this. I've never seen Rain Man. I know that's like one of my movies I've never seen. Not not that I have anything against it. I just I've just never seen it. But I would say the one thing I would say the movie is unique. I feel like that if you took video games out of the picture, you could essentially put in other things too. Like if Jimmy was good at sports or if he was uh, an artist or things like that. I think you definitely could have done that. I just I guess for the time, because video games were just starting to get a revival again, uh, you know, in the mid to late 80s, it kind of worked and it kind of didn't. Because you also have, like, I feel like you also have all these different plots and these characters, but there's not enough time to develop them all. I feel like there were things that were uh, left out and had the movie been longer. But then again, too, uh, what is the runtime? About an hour and a half, I think? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like around 90 minutes. Yeah, so I think if it, if it went at least maybe two hours, two hours and 15 minutes, it definitely could have pulled or thrown some really big cinema punches where it would have actually established itself as a movie but you know whether that was because the studio did cuts or they said hey cut this out and whatnot you know we'll never know but i feel like there could have been um a better story told because you have all these characters i mean the other thing is too you have several antagonists you have uh putting them and of course you have uh lucas uh and to an extent jimmy's stepfather as well could be seen as antagonist too but there's just not enough time to develop all those so Right. And that's what I thought when I watched it through this time in preparation for this review, especially towards the beginning, it really did feel like maybe we were missing scenes. Like I I was able to follow it, but it felt like people seemed to know things. Uh, Like I think the stepdad made some comment like, well, Corey, you don't want to go back home anyway, do you? And they had had no interaction at that point. And it's like, how does this guy know that? Uh, And I think the first time Corey has any interaction with Jimmy, if I'm right, is at when he's put in the home in the institution. And then Corey is like, okay, time to go. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of assumed at the beginning. Uh, it feels like just kind of sketched out barely. Yeah. It's, that's a really interesting point. And we'll get back to that later because there are substantial cut scene, cut scenes from this movie. There's over an hour of deleted scenes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so they're they're on the road and they're trying to get to California and eventually we get to see Jimmy start to play video games and uh, he plays Double Dragon. And you mentioned that this is similar to maybe other movies that deal with sports, you know, where you have this this child prodigy, you know, at something and he seems to be a prodigy at video games. So as a gamer yourself, uh, how did you like this uh, introduction into video games in this movie? As a kid, you know, like uh, anything that had to deal with video games, I thought was really cool just because, you know, again, as compared to today, it just wasn't a staple pop culture like it, you know, like it is now. I mean, it was starting to get there, but it was still far, far from away, uh, which I would I would argue that probably early 2010s is really when it really was like, you know, commonly accepted to be okay to like video games uh in my opinion but um yeah it's i will say what's really funny i'm gonna throw this out there because um i think every video game nerd pointed out that there's no way you could get fifty thousand points in the first level of double dragon so there was things like that i noticed but um it was really it was really cool the fact that he just kind of 
took to it. And um, in a way, it was like esports before there were esports, like when you mm. think about it, because they did have contests and stuff back then. But I think that was kind of like the slow start of it. So uh, and to have them, you know, to be able, I think what and it's not really never said, but what's really implied, what I like is that he uses Jimmy uses video games to um, to cope with his problems and how to, to kind of work through them, which uh, I can appreciate that as somebody that I grew up in a strict household where um, I didn't have friends that lived close near me. So sometimes I'd just be in my room playing video games. So, Right. Yeah. And I think that's true for all of us, right? Like whether our issues were big or small as kids, it was kind of an easy way to sort of get away from whatever problems we were having that day and just get absorbed into, into gaming, you know, and I think it really connected with all of us. And I, I love what you said about how it wasn't mainstream then. And it became mainstream maybe around like 2010. And I'm wondering if that's because that was when all those kids from that era grew up to be adults. One thing I remember was when I was young and playing video games, so many adults were just against the idea of video games. Like it was a waste of time. It was getting in the way of school. Um, most adults did not play video games at all. It's kind of one of those kid things that would never help you in life. And then I think once that generation grew up, you had adults embracing gaming because they still played video games and then, you know, their kids play video games. So it does seem like it's very common for adults to be playing video games now, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And I've always hated an argument too, where people are like, oh, you know, video games are a waste of time. Yet people always watch TV or browse. Now it's commonly accepted where a lot of people, you know, back then they told us when, you know, computer dollop was still a thing where it was like, you know, hey, don't spend too much time with the computer. But now all the, everybody just looks at their <laughs> their smartphone all the time. So it's funny how times have changed. But yeah, I mean, video games, especially me, have helped me so much with hand-eye coordination. Uh, I actually was able to improve uh, like my reading and writing proficiency because of video games of playing RPGs like Final Fantasy and Earthbound and Chrono Trigger and things like that. So. You know, yeah, it, it's very interesting, like how the, uh, the, the the societal shift has happened around video games, too. Right. Yeah. And I love what you said about esports. And and you're right, even like puzzle solving and actually being able to sort of challenge yourself on all these. I don't know what you call them. Mental games, things that increase your sort of like mental acuity, perhaps mm -hmm. keep you sharp. And you're right. TV doesn't do that. Um, scrolling through your smartphone doesn't do that. And to add on to that, I saw a meme the other day, too, where it was, but it was like, uh, it wasn't necessarily a meme, but it was like uh, somebody posted something on Twitter that said people hate on video games, yet it forms, involves every art form there ever is, which is, you know, reading, uh, you know, your visual art. And but but the difference is it actually allows you to be part of the experience because you're directly inputting. I thought that was a real a beautiful analogy. So. Right. Yeah, it's it's much more of a comprehensive I don't know, immersive thing. I think it's a, uh, yeah, I love that point. That's wonderful. So in this movie, obviously this guy, Jimmy, the, the kid is doing really well, maybe too well on double dragon, but, um, then they meet this, uh, character, a girl named Haley, who seems to be really resourceful and a uh, very smart, but she's kind of on her own too. Uh, she's a bit of a runaway. And so now you have this, this team that's formed of runaways and they're trying to get to California. And of course she, comes up with the idea of going to the video game championships, video Armageddon to win $50,000. So what do you think of these characters in this movie? These, these three characters, our main team of Corey, Jimmy, and Haley. 
I thought Haley was a great addition, especially the way she was written. Like, uh, both from that perspective back then and now, they didn't have her just like some kind of damsel in distress. She was tough. Uh, tomboyish was able to take care of her own. Uh, Corey definitely seemed, uh, and somebody had put this, I can't remember if it was Nostalgia Critic or Angry Video Game Nerd, but they put, they almost put him like, said he was like an adult in a kid's body, which I think he ha- kind of had to be because he was looking after Jimmy on the road. But I thought the characters were really great. And I, I love the fact that like, Jimmy at times also slowly comes out of a shell, uh, whether it's, you know, kissing Haley at the end on the cheek or he's wearing the, I guess, the Groucho Marx, uh, you know, glasses and mustache. So it was right. very cool that um, they gave him just enough dialogue to where it, when he spoke, it meant something. Right. And and they're on this adventure and you you bring up the idea that like, yeah, he's an adult, but it's interesting in this movie it's almost like these kids are doing very adult things. Like uh, they are behaving as adults. They're even conning adults, you know, out of money. And uh, they're very world wise, I guess you could say they, they kind of know how the world works. They're able to get by. And I don't know what you think, but for me as a kid, I really connected with that because it's almost like a fantasy. It's something as a kid you wish you could kind of like get out of your house and go on this incredible adventure road trip to go to the video game championships, you know? Um, and it's, I thought it was really fun to see other kids. You could live through them vicariously as they had these adventures. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, speaking of video games, it actually, when I was rewatching this movie, it reminded me of a video game called Earthbound, which I might've talked about before, where it's not necessarily exactly the same premise, but part, a similar aspect is that uh, you play as these four kids that all meet up on different part in different parts of the world. They all go on this journey to save the world and you're doing a lot of road trip and you're going from one place to the next to kind of get to your destination. So it, uh, yeah, it was very, it was definitely a unique concept. It was kind of like some of those other movies at the time. And this is not a knock on it. I think it was, you know, like stand by me where there's like, there's kids going on an adventure. So yeah, it, it very, being able to kind of like live through that and, see things like that and also in somewhat of a realistic setting too where it's like you know they also run into obstacles on the way where some of their money money gets stolen from them um you know they get taken advantage of um so yeah it it is definitely realistic in that aspect as well right you had the bullies uh Mm -hmm. you have this uh really i mean as a as an adult he seems like kind of a doofus uh, this uh, bounty hunter that is chasing right. after them, that's trying to get Jimmy back for the parents. And he he's kind of relentless uh, and scummy, but it's kind of a scary idea in a way, like having this adult pursue you as a kid uh, that trying to get you and uh, bring you back. Uh, but yeah, lots of lots of adult themes, uh, bullying, uh, assault, sexual assault. You know, um, they bring up a lot of very deep things. I don't think would come up in a kid's movie today. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and it, this movie was what PG or was it PG 13? It was PG. Yeah. That's, that's like kind that. of, it's crazy to think about too. But I also know, I think back then they, they had just, did they just, when did PG 13 came out? I remember there was a certain movie that caused that to come out. Was that in the eighties? Yes, it was, uh, two, yeah, two movies prompted it. It was, uh, Indian engines and temple of doom and Goonies. And I think, the first PG thirteen movie was Red Dawn, with um, oh, okay. Patrick Swayze. You know that that's China invasion movie. So it was like I think eighty seven. I want to mm-hmm. say eighty six, eighty seven is when PG thirteen came out. Right. Yeah. So they definitely you know did what they could to kind of get away with a lot, and that's probably also why a lot of things were cut 
too, because I'm sure there might have been like some other stuff, which I've never seen the deleted scene, so I'm kind of just speculating here. But yeah, th you think about it, there's like a lot of very borderline, and I think that's what kind of also, you think about like horror movies for a second too, there's a lot of things sometimes that get cut out to go from unrated to rated, uh, or rated X to rated R, so yeah, it's uh, they probably were like very trying to like navigating what they could, could and couldn't get away with. That's a really good point. And I think you're right about that, especially like a lot of the cutscenes have to do with drama and everything. And, um, and we'll get to that and we'll talk about that. Uh, just really fascinating. I think Jan has some other thoughts. She says, you were talking about adults not playing video games. I think that in the eighties, there was a dedicated phone line back in the day for Nintendo players to ring up if they were stuck on a particular game. And, uh, I'm glad that you brought that up, Jan, because this movie uh, is really a love letter to that and to all gamers because there's an entire sequence where they call the uh, Nintendo Power uh, gaming hotline for advice on how to beat games. And, you know, that's kind of later in the movie, but it kind of brings up this whole aspect of uh, Nintendo. So, Strife, we have Nintendo in this movie. Uh, do you think as a movie, is the product placement too heavy? Uh, because, you know, we have the video games themselves, we have the Power Glove, we have the Nintendo Hotline, we have eventually Universal Studios. Um, how do you feel about the balance of including this for story purposes and just the product placement? Um, first, I do want to comment on the Nintendo Hotline. It's so, like, cool to think about, to, like, to have been alive in the 80s and to just have a job playing video games. That was, like, really, really cool. And um, just having, you know, the NES booted up and stuff like that that's just that's such a crazy concept to think about but now like that also reminds me of like you know growing up in the 2000s when i was looking up at game facts and like user contributed like guides before youtube was a thing and now we have now you can essentially beat any game because there's youtube and things like that but back to the product placement i thought um i didn't think it was that i, I thought it was spaced out just right that may be just me because um you know, it's like it's like yeah, they uh, they haven't played in arcades and they play haven't played like the NES and things like that. But I don't know. I thought it was spaced out because you know, at least from the the get go, like the ultimate goal is to get to this video game championship. So you know, that's going to be a big part of the movie. That's going to be right. You know, like Rocky's fight with Apollo. You know, that's all what it's all leading up to. But uh, the Universal Studios thing, um, I guess that was the one thing. Um, did it? I don't know. I have to go back and rewatch. I don't know if it was ever mentioned that video Armageddon was going to be there. So yeah, that, that could have, I, Universal, I feel like we shoehorned in a little bit, but, um, overall I said, I don't think it was that heavy. I don't know what your opinion is on that, but. Right. You know, for me, uh, I think it's fine, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think maybe even today, it just seems like product placements are everywhere. And, and I don't mind like, you know, the kids, that's, that's a major draw. I think of the movie is, is the Nintendo stuff. So, it's, it's almost, you know, if people are going to see the movie because of the Nintendo stuff, is it really product placement or is it a feature of the movie? I don't know. But, you know, you do have those amazing scenes. Okay, so there's the scene, of course, where they're on the road, they've made some money, and they come across Lucas. You know, he is like the epitome of like, he it looks like he has money. He's played all the games. He has 97 
games, Nintendo games, and he has an entourage of lackeys, right? And they they whip out the official Nintendo game pack holder, and he's like, "These are my games." And just uh, <laughs> just that little, they had the little printed out name on the little thing, and it had like the like the imprint where it fit the glove. That just was like, oh my god, <laughs> so cheesy. I know, and of course, Lucas is you know, unveiling this new thing. And actually, let me show this. This is sure. an actual video clip from the movie that this is the infamous Power Glove Lucas scene. So here we go. Power I love the power glove. It's so bad. <laughs> I love that. That's such a classic line. And uh, do you do you remember the power glove at all? No. So I'm gonna also date myself here. I was actually not born when this movie came out. So the the con we did have an NES when I was younger, but we just had the standard <laughs> controller. Um, I don't think I've ever have ever played i would love to at some point uh you know just try out the power glove. i've never done that i grew up with nes but it was mostly a super nintendo but um yeah i just uh very unique very ahead of its time i, I would think i don't know if um and i'm kind of just going off of like the angry video game nurse review he's like he's like, i can't believe you know they showcased it like it was something that actually worked so but um <laughs> yeah i i will say just to, a quick note on that scene. I love how they gave Lucas the whistle, like part of the whistle of the good and the bad and the ugly. I don't know if you noticed that in his musical cue. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. That, did, you ever, that is... did you ever use one? Yes. In fact, I was going to say, Strife, there's a reason why you never use the power glove when you eventually got your Nintendo. Um, and uh, it, it was a really cool thing. I owned one. And I know it was promoted in this movie. It might have been because of that. I think it got it for Christmas that year. Um but it was this cool glove, as you saw in that clip, and there was motion to it, right? So you can say if you're playing a game like Top Gun or something, you could fly, bank left and right, you know, which was kind of cool, or drive like in Rad Racer. Um, but if you wanted to use like the A button or B button to fire, you could map it to like the thumb to do that to do A and B would be like that. So you would basically play the game like that. Mm -hmm. The big downfall, I think, for the Power Glove is the fact that if you're playing a game for more than five minutes, this gets really tiring, like just holding your right. hand up like that. And I think that's just it's just so much more comfortable to just play with a controller. Right. And, um, you know, so I it was one of those things that it was fun. I play with it for a bit, but it's just not. It wasn't good enough to replace your normal controller. Well, it was also a precursor to the Wii Mode because it used sensors too, like the Wii Mode did. You know, yes. so I, you know, I definitely give them props for at least kind of having different things. Now, somebody else here in the comments said they had the power pad. Like I've seen, um, I'm going to mention again in the skin cast. Like I was, I grew up watching a lot of Angry Video Game Nerd. He reviewed like a lot of the NES accessories and stuff. So, um, and the I did have the zapper. I actually have a zapper now. I think the last time I was on here, I mentioned that I bought. Uh, in an NES one not I have there's a zapper and I have with it that still works. That's so. awesome. Yeah, they they were crazy with those peripherals. They were great, very innovative. Mm -hmm. And very innovative with the Wii Wii remote as well. 
so in the scene, we have Lucas demonstrating the power glove just for the heck of it. And one thing, though, is this guy, this character, I think they did a great job of making him, I don't know, kind of a someone you could kind of admire, but also kind of hate at the same time. Like every kid would hate this guy mm-hmm. who's got an attitude and who owns 97 Nintendo games. Um, and he makes kind of a good villain, but he's not totally evil. Right. Yeah. He, uh, he's the type of guy I hate to fight against in fighting games. And it's, but it's satisfying to beat when you can beat those type of people. Cause they, they talk all this mad trash and then, you know, and then they get beat and they're like, you know, <laughs> their world is shaking. So yeah, it's, but yeah, there, there is like some element there where he, you can tell he wants to be cool, but he doesn't know how to, I guess he doesn't know how to display it. What's the word I'm looking for? He's seeking acceptance and he doesn't know how to go about it. And that's like the main thing too. That's why he always like, likes having those kids, which by the way, did you notice Toby Maguire as part of his entourage? Near the end of the no, movie? I didn't. Yeah. No, was, I didn't. So when they're, when they're coming out of, after they've done the prelims, right. And where he points out to put him, you know, there he is right there on the far left. There's Toby Maguire in his first ever role with like a mullet and everything in this pink shirt. So, so we have this scene and they're, they're heading towards California um, they're being pursued by this bounty hunter. And you also have the story of uh, Christian Slater and Bo Bridges. And I don't know if you've seen, say, Sidekicks, which was like a Karate Kid ripoff. Oh, I've seen it, uh, yep. Yeah, of course. Um, Bo Bridges, he plays basically the same role in that, too. Like, he, he, this was kind of like his dad phase. He was playing all, like, the dad roles. And then you had Christian Slater, who was kind of like the cool older brother. He was like the coolest older older brother you could have. Um, this was like right as he was getting super famous. And I don't know, what did you think of that story of them? They had like bonding through video games as they were uh, chasing these other kids. Yeah. Um, Bo, yeah, Bo was always believable as a Dan. Like you could just definitely, you know, tell that he was trying to do the best he could, even though he sometimes fell short. Yeah, it was it was cool. And then Christian Slater, I'm not familiar with a lot of his work. I mean, I know who he is. Like, I know he was also kind of like a, uh, a staple through the 80s and things like that. But yeah, it was very like, I think that was like my favorite, one of the favorite shifts in their dynamic where, you know, Christian Slater like, fine, you don't want to talk to me. I'm going to play video games. You can go to sleep and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, his dad is hooked on Ninja Turtles, which I thought that was kind of like the funniest thing. And that's one of the things I really wish would have happened to me as a kid because you know, growing up and playing video games, it was me and my sister, but then my sister grew out of it, but I always kept playing. Very rarely I could get my parents to play with me, but they wouldn't play for very long. So, you know, whenever I have kids of my own one day, that's something I want to kind of have, have. Like, that's one thing I'm looking forward to is to be able to play video games with them and stuff. So I always thought that was cool part of the movie. I know. I, I think that was a thing where all of us, I think, wish that we, we wanted to show our parents like look at this game and like look what we did and it was tough because they didn't care the generational gap (laughs) such a huge disconnect yeah hopefully you're right though that's gone now a lot of us would want to play with our kids you know um Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah that was pretty funny uh bo bridges playing uh uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles which i have a soft spot for that original nintendo game uh it was very difficult Mm -hmm. and didn't really go with the tv series at all but um it was very popular and featured in this movie multiple times, maybe right. more than any of the other games. So, uh, very, very cool. Okay. So they're bonding and then they eventually get to, I guess they go to Reno, uh, and gamble. So Haley has a trucker friend who, uh, she gets to 
gamble and she knows how to play craps. She's like the expert at gambling, even at her age. Um, and explain, and that's explained by kind of like a tough family situation. Her mom was a gambling addict. I mean, strife. I mean, this, this movie definitely deals with like all the issues. I mean, these kids have so many, so many problems, but they're, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you, what you think. Yeah. I, I was going to point out real quick. Uh, I love, uh, I think Spanky was his name. He was the, yes. he was the police chief and last action hero. Yes. You know, I would, that's, I would, I always love that actor. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I, you know, I looked it up. Yeah. That, um, the fact, but what was really cool, I think was that like Reno was like the save point, so to speak, cause they could build back up what they lost. They had a place to stay and it also wasn't that far away from California. Uh, as somebody that has actually made the trip from Las Vegas to California, um, <laughs> that was, that was really cool. So, uh, yeah, but you know, the fact that they, uh, that, you know, Haley, uh, Haley was on her own a lot of the time, um, cause they, they don't even really talk about what happened to her mother. You know, it's just really her father that's kind of taking care of her. But even then she's kind of like alone all the time. So yeah, it's, uh, it was just a lot of tough issues and whatnot, but, um, yeah, that, that part of the movie was interesting as well. And that was also, that's also when they're able to get Jimmy the help he needs by calling the hotline over and over where it's just like, you know, the rigorous training, so to speak. So. Right. And you're, I love how you put it, that that's a save point and it is like a save point in the movie and they're able to, to regroup and, you know, you've got Fred Savage there in the arcade. It's almost like the arcades, like a casino and they have like this young cocktail waitress person (laughs) that's giving out licorice and he's like tipping her like, Oh, keep the change. And, you know, walking around and it's like all the kids are playing adults essentially. And, uh, you know, Haley's out by the pool. You're right. She's on the phone with the Nintendo hotline getting all the answers. And I was not allowed to call the Nintendo hotline. And I can't remember if it's because it was like a 900 number or if it was just a long distance number. Uh, because at the time you had to pay a lot more per minute if you're dialing long right. distance on a landline. And so that was one where I was I was like, oh my gosh, that's a fantasy. The idea of being able to call the Nintendo hotline for hours and just get like all the answers and everything. So um, yeah, because like when you're growing up like that, um, you had to know the right people that played video games that that maybe they knew how to get something because you know, and this is I'm talking about like b- before internet, like before YouTube, before game packs, like, and, and you know I was probably in the same situation. I don't know, I've never called the Nintendo Hotline, but I know like I probably would have been forbidden to do so just because it's probably what like eight dollars a minute. And we're also kind of dating ourselves here. Talk time was not always unlimited. We had a thing called landline <laughs> right. where like, and even, even then when, when cell phones were starting to become more affordable, you had to pay for minutes every month as part of your cell, you know, cell plan. So that uh, you had to like, like for me, I had a cousin I grew up with where like, thankfully he played a lot of video games. So I kind of knew like I could ask him for help and things like that. Or if, and, but there, it was also cool. There's a couple of times where I actually showed him up because I had played, I was like, Oh, this is how you get past that. Or this is how you can do that. So you're right. Yeah. It was a completely different time. And I think we take it for granted now that we can get any answer to any question we want in a second mm-hmm. and a video, right. To show us right. how to do it. Yep. And, um, you know, back then, nope, not at all. And so Jimmy in this movie was really talented and, uh, that information they provided at the Nintendo hotline was really valuable. And, um, I don't know, for me, it was cool watching the movie at the time. I remember looking at that phone bank, like where they had all these people working and in cubicles, oh, yeah. you know, it was like behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Oh, this is what it's like, you know? 
So uh, that was that was fun. Okay, so they they leave, and then I think at that point they're ready to head to California to L.A. to Universal Studios Hollywood to get to Video Armageddon. Uh, and so this whole sequence, like you mentioned, esports, but you know, at the time, I think that this whole sequence was really imaginative because I don't think anything really like, like this existed in the world, you know, in terms of video right. games. Yeah. And it's funny though, like, uh, I went to DreamHack three months ago and it was like, kind of like video Armageddon. I mean, they didn't have a big old stage with the smoke, but you, like, it was just like the way, like the way the atmosphere was like, it was like the same way and whatnot. So yeah, it was very, cool that they had like this thing dedicated to to video games and that they were kind of giving it a stage um i don't uh, again i wasn't born then so i don't know what the scene was like if there were like i'm sure there were competitions and tournaments especially like in the early 90s that was starting to become more of a thing like when you had street fighter 2 come out and stuff like that but just seeing that too was really was really really cool too and then you know then your parents will say oh yeah right you'll never have a job playing video games and stuff and now it's like a job you can actually have you know if you're good enough so Right. I, I don't blame parents, obviously, who have had no experience in computers or video games at the time, because computers were kind of like a niche thing, uh, you know, to get into. Obviously, they were starting to take over a lot. But, uh, you know, little did these parents know that, you know, an intense interest in video games might lead to interest in video game design and or computer programming, mm-hmm. you know, and I think just getting into that field, obviously, now it's just so relevant and um you know, but I think it was tough back then, you know, for parents yep. to see the potential, you know, where things could go. Exactly. And that's and and funny enough, that was one of my dreams as a kid was a video game designer and hopefully something I'll enact upon someday. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's very cool. You should do it. I want to I want to see Strife's games. I want to oh, play yeah. them. Hopefully one day for sure. Well, we'll see if I uh, can get something going. <laughs> nice. OK, so this is. I guess potentially you could look at it as either product placement or another kid's fantasy, this idea of going to Universal Studios, playing this tournament, and then having this crazy tram chase, like the Universal Studio tram, like pursuit through King Kong. <laughs> and guy, sit down and have fun, damn it. <laughs> no, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, that's good. Um, but it's like, but you got to see like the behind the scenes of the King Kong ride and they were running around and they were trying to get Jimmy back to the competition as an adult watching this. How, how did this whole sequence hit you? Was it, was it fun to watch? Was it interesting? Definitely reminded me of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause of the, just the way, you know, the same thing, the, the studio backlot. And then of course they even have the dinosaurs, you know, later on in the scene of the movie. Right. So That's yeah, right. it was very funny. And then, um, I just like how they conveniently go in that elevator at the end and then suddenly Jimmy's on like the near his station on the pedestal. That was just kind of, kind of funny. Yeah. I, um, I think the host is what kind of w- really got me, but you could definitely tell it was very family friendly or family film kid esque type of chase for sure. So, right. Yeah. And so let's talk about the video Armageddon host. Uh, this guy set the tone. What, what did you think of this guy? Oh, he, probably like one of the best performances of the movie easily just very very over the top very energetic you can tell that like he was playing a character that was passionate about what he did that he loved video games uh and things like that he loved being like the host and whatnot and he was like he was even like you know hey where's jimmy like we got to have this third person he he didn't care necessarily about 
like the competition itself. He wanted like he wanted Jimmy to be there to kind of experience them. I thought that was kind of a cool aspect to his character for sure. Yeah, it's like he cared. It's like he personally cared about each of the contestants. And, you know, it wasn't cynical, uh, which was really cool. And then, of course, the final competition between Jimmy Lucas and Mora uh, is playing a game that's never been played before, Super Mario Brothers 3. Right. Um, which it's strange talking about it now because it seems like such an old game. It is an old game and it's available everywhere. And a lot of people watching this has probably played it. But at the time, Mario fever was crazy. And I think a lot of kids were wondering, is there a Mario three? Is it coming? I would love a Mario three. And then you see it and you're like, Oh my gosh, they're actually playing this game. And so I was wondering if you could take a couple minutes to talk about Mario three and its appearance in this game and just the importance of that. Uh, it was, man, it was just so cool. I will say what pained me though, is like they would call out things where it's like, get the star. And then like, right. not, there's no star on screen. Unless they're talking about at the end where he's trying to clear the level and things like that. But um, it did give everybody a hint in that first fortress that you could go up there and get the flute. Like nobody would have known that if they had not shown that in the movie, unless it was just by accidental discovery. So that was really cool. And somebody that grew up playing uh, both Super Mario World and Super Mario All-Stars, which had Super Nintendo remakes of, you know, Mario 1 through 3 and Lost Levels. Uh, that was really cool. Like, that game is timeless. Um, I could easily go back and pick up that game at any time. Like, that's it, it's just the game just still holds up today. And some of those features that are in that game kind of carry over into current Mario titles, too. So Right. It was amazing. I remember reading the instruction booklet for that game and it had a message from the creators of the game the developers and they said they had a line in there that said something like we worked really hard to make this the best mario experience ever something something along those lines and i at the time i remember going you did it like that was so good it was so so far beyond i think like mario 1 and 2 it it, it oh, easily it's yeah. so it's so far beyond of what it could have been like they just went above and beyond in that game did you know there was going to be a centaur power up in that game? No, a there centaur? was going to, but they but they cut it because they couldn't because I think it was uh, both graphical and technical limitations too. They were going to have Mario as like some kind of have a centaur power up where he turns into a centaur. It was wow. either that or I think yeah, it was that one. I think that was that was the game that they had. It, it might have been I could be mistaken, but I'm just pretty sure it was Mario three that they were going to have a centaur power up because in that you know the the power ups alone in that game there's so many. Um, they did a really good job of doing the variety uh, and whatnot. But yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that was one of the powers that they had. I remember reading that sometime. So, Wow. I'll have to look into that. That sounds very intriguing. Uh, it would have been a, a blast to play, I think. Um, so Jimmy wins. I'm sorry if you haven't seen this movie. Uh, spoiler. Uh, he wins. Um, they have this moment where they're driving home and they stop at the... Uh, Cabazon dinosaurs uh, in California that were in Pee-wee's Big Adventure that Strife was talking about. Uh, and then they get this kind of revelation of why he wants to go to California and basically leaving his uh, dead sisters who, who had drowned in front of him, uh, her belongings in the dinosaur to give her kind of a send off. And uh, the movie ends. And what Now, kind of wrapping everything together, what did you think of all that? The video game wrap up and then we have this kind of really emotional wrap up as well yeah because like when you think about like 
him getting to California, like you never really know why he wanted to kind of go there. So, um, like you think it's like, okay, well he's won the video Armageddon. What else is there to do? That's it. Like the movie's over. But then like that kind of like really hit home and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, the way the movie ended, I remember seeing a comment somewhere because I was also kind of looking at other people's like perceptions and stuff, what they thought of the movie. They said the only thing that that scene was really missing was Christian Slater's character not having an interaction with Jimmy because I, I think they said, and I, I could be wrong, they said somewhere in the movie that he he was supposed to be watching both of them while they were by the river oh. and whatnot too. Yes. So, and which was, um, and I think in the beginning of the movie, uh, both he and Fred Savage's character, Corey, were both talking about why they needed try to stop Jimmy from being put in a home. So that also kind of, you know, the, the fact too, that he's even going with his dad to kind of help Jimmy too. That's like the only thing that w- that scene was kind of missing. I would also like to say the mom too, the mom throughout most of the movie was just kind of there. And like, it's not until right. the end that she shows that she really kind of cares about Jimmy and whatnot. So it's very distant. I always thought that was weird. I thought that was weird too. Rewatching the movie. Right. right. Um, I would say if you enjoy this movie, those the d- things that they cut in the deleted scenes mm-hmm. were really just all about, almost all about the family dynamics, uh, the characters. I would say maybe easily two-thirds to 75% of the deleted scenes took place. They would have taken place at the beginning of the movie. You know, and uh, they would have really gone into like all these characters in the background. And um, you got to see Corey and Jimmy. Corey's trying to get Jimmy to play video games. Corey has friends. Uh, You have tense interactions between Bo Bridges and Christine. The mom comes over and you can you see Corey returning Jimmy to Christine like multiple times and it's just uh it's really amazing how much they cut i understand why because you know maybe if it's a kid's movie you you kind of want to just get to the road trip uh and and get to the you know fun stuff i guess you could say uh because all this stuff would was kind of like not as fun family drama although i think if it were made today they wouldn't have cut all that um and it'd be interesting to see like that put back into the movie to see if it really does kill the pacing, because right. I think a lot of these extra, these scenes later in the movie would make more sense. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to know too. Cause it's just like, that was the one thing I was kind of like, uh, like I, you can understand the stepdad not being there as much cause he's kind of antagonistic. Yeah. Like the, the mom that like, you know, she, at the beginning of the movie, she definitely shows concern for Jimmy, but it's just like near the end, there's just not much interaction, which is kind of weird. Like that's the one thing that kind of struck me and I hadn't even thought about the Christian Slater thing until somebody pointed it out. I was like, Oh yeah, that would have been a nice like tie up too. Right. Yeah. I think there's a deleted sequence where he and Sam as the father have this argument. They pull over on the side of the road and they just have this argument about that, about how the father has been like checked out and not caring about Corey and that it's, you know, Christian Slater's making this point, like it's no one's fault. It happened. You know, it was like dealing with all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I see why they cut it, but I could see why it was written. And right. maybe it's just too. And that's the thing, too. Like, I ambitious. love all the maybe it was too ambitious. Yeah, for that's what this I'm thinking, type of too. Movie. 
Because you think about it, there's a lot of things just kind of thrown together, which it kind of works, but some of it just doesn't. Like, if it had, it almost makes you think, like, would it have been better as, like, a miniseries or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Very episodic. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It, maybe it needed, and it might have, I think it was produced pretty quickly. Like, they had to get it done really quick, written and produced right. very quickly. Maybe it would have benefited benefited from more revisions as far as like streamlining it. Like what what is this about? Is it is it about this deep drama or mm -hmm. and it kind of has Nintendo in it? Or is it about kind of like this trip to play at the video game championships? And right. we're, we're kind of having this drama as part of that. But because um, that first cut, man, it is like all about the family drama. And uh, yeah, it's I don't know. But I have a feeling some people might prefer prefer the movie with all that material in it. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, one thing I wanted to do was actually, and it, Strife, if you'll, if you'll enjoy this, I wanted to go sure. back in time and play uh, a part of the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. This was from 1989, and we can look at it with our eyes now and see if we agree with what they say and see if what they say actually maybe has relevance. They were, Siskel and Ebert were like the two top film critics of that time. Uh, and so I always like to go back and, and listen to what they have to say about these things. Name The Wizard, and this is a movie that has everything going for it except for a good script, a believable premise, and common sense. It stars Fred Savage as the 13-year-old brother of a 9-year-old kid who never talks, but who's a genius at playing video games. I disliked almost everything about The Wizard. I disliked the danger those children were in as they hitchhiked hundreds of miles and at one point actually used a skateboard on an interstate highway, traveled by heavy trucks great image for kids that don't want to play in traffic. I just like the stupid and ham-handed so-called humor of the feud between the people who were chasing them. I just like the blatant commercial plugolas for Nintendo video games and the Universal Tour. And I thought the sentimental ending of the film was really a cheap shot. I think that just about covers it. It's a very uh, sort of mean, <laughs> uh, venal kind of film in the way with all the plugs that you're talking about. Also, I just didn't think it was particularly good fun. No, huh. I mean, uh, it leads to, and I don't think they get there quickly enough, to showing uh, the video games on a big screen format. And I think if they had done more of that, if they had really been in love, if the people who had made this had really been in love with the Nintendo games, they might have made a more interesting visual picture, but they didn't. They just saved that for a last throwaway shot. Nintendo fans are going to be as disappointed as everyone else. Now, what do I know about Nintendo? Very little, but I know this. I once got to the second level of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so in this movie, when they talk about, hey, I got to the third level, and they show the screen, even dummy like me, I know enough that they only got to the first level. So any kid is going to say, this movie doesn't know what it's talking about. That's not the third level of Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles and you got to get stuff like that right in movies like this. And there's an easier way to check it. I think they say the second level, and it was very easy. I looked in the lower left-hand corner of the screen at that point, and the score was only at 300, jumped to 500, yeah. uh -huh. so the game had uh -huh. just started. So they made that mistake, too. Yeah, um, the other thing, too, like when they're leaving the, the, the shop after they got their car fixed, I noticed Bo Brez has left the RF adapter behind. Like, if they would have just done that, grabbed, if he would have grabbed that, too, that would have gave it a little bit more detail. So, right. And I noticed that, uh, you know, when uh, Christian Slater's like, we got to go and he unplugs the Nintendo, like he unplugs the controller and it causes the whole system to go right. off on the TV. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's something we can talk about, too, is how they do the games, because obviously it's great that they include all these games. But you're right. Starting with the 50,000 uh, points in Double Dragon, 
uh, they are showing not the correct parts of the game. Uh, right. You know, when they're talking about the game, you mentioned her screaming, get the star, get the star, which kind of isn't important to the gameplay of Super Mario Brothers 3. And was that kind of a big goof that they didn't have people, I guess, who were editing this, put it together, consult with the game experts? Um, did this show that really the filmmakers didn't know much about video games? Yeah, it, it did. Like mainly because um, if they had just checked those little details, it would have been it would not have really cost them much time to do so. And especially too, you think about Video Armageddon's scoring system. Like their scoring system was really weird too, because like you know they were saying, oh yeah, Lucas is in level two and he's still in world one, or I guess he was like he's in. They said something like that, and I was right. like, that makes you know that makes no sense. Like what are, you know what are they talking about? So and like. Um, Jimmy should have had like a lot. I mean, he it doesn't matter because he won, but had he used the warp, like with whatever kind of scoring system they had, like that should have easily kept him in first place, like throughout the rest of the the game. Because especially if he went to World Four, they would have been barely going to World Two, you know. So yeah, that was. I mean, you kind of suspend disbelief because it's obviously like a movie tournament section, but I didn't understand mm -hmm. why Jimmy he kept dying. And we're not sure what dying does to you because the other players right. didn't die. Uh, so does he have to start over again? They kind of alluded to that. Um, uh, well, more then... died once. She did. Oh, she did. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, but yeah, gotcha. they did. Yeah, I see. What you, but yeah, to your point, they didn't really explain what that does to the, the scoring system. So right. Okay. Here we go. Um, Strife got this. <laughs> yeah. There's wow. Toby at the left on the left. So. Toby Maguire, pre it's, pre Spider Man. Like, yeah, it's funny to, to to think that like the guy on the left, the far left, the kid on the far left would have grown to be Spider Man, and yet nobody else like in this scene would be like rec that recognized, you know, for other things too. It's kind of crazy to think about. Right, and it, I I think there was some scandal with the actor who played Lucas too. I think he was yep. uh, yeah, fortunately uh, some yeah some sort yeah of I read about that too. That was that was crazy. Yeah. So, oh well, that's that's too bad. But yeah, good good on uh Toby Maguire. What a, what a great movie to appear in. Uh 100%. Uh James says Super Mario Brothers 3 and the original Legend of Zelda are legendary video games. Mm -hmm. Um and then Jan says, "Yeah, I would have to go back and watch the film again, but there might have been a few goofs on the movie. Like the critic guy said it was just to plug Nintendo in their games." And and yeah, it's like, and you could tell, like when Bo Bridges was talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, you know, you could tell he'd never, you know, the way he was playing it, you know, you could tell like he'd probably never played video games before. And um, right. I don't know. But okay, so we take all of that into consideration. What is your verdict, Strife, uh, after watching this movie? What's your verdict in 2023? Uh, is this movie worthwhile? Is it significant? Would you recommend it? It's definitely worth it if you want to kill an hour and a half of time, I would say. Um, I would say six out of ten. I think that's a fair statement. I think I think the IMDB rating is about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I'd say that's fair. I I'd bump that up just a little bit for if you're say a kid of like the late 80s or early 90s. I will see what, what this movie really does is there's a very thick nostalgia slice like it really kind of captures that time i think really well and so you right. watch this movie and you're really transported back to that time 
Um, obviously, you have Fred Savage. Uh, just the music, cinematography, the the type of movie this is. It's very unique in particular. And so I find the movie really pleasant. And I think with the Nintendo stuff, all of that kind of wraps together. And I I like this movie. But at the same time, you know, obviously it does have, you know, a bunch of flaws. And um, I don't know, though. I, I think... I think that, say, the critics like Siskel and Ebert and at the time who were bashing the movie, I think they were a bit too too critical, too harsh. Yeah. And um, I think that this movie would really be enjoyed by kids uh, back then if they went to see it. And even with right. the dark stuff, I think kids can handle it. And it, it makes it meatier, I think, than a lot of tie-in movies today. Right. I mean, you think about it, even Disney movies all the way back in the 40s had some very you know, questionable scenes and things like that. And, you know, kids were still watching it. So. Right. Yeah. Like Pinocchio, that was a very dark movie. A lot yeah. of, a lot Dumbo. of very dark theme. Dumbo. White. Very, yeah. Yep. So Strife, are you going, would you, are you going to watch this again someday? I probably will. Yeah. I definitely would watch it again. Um, like I said, it was kind of one of those things like where I thought about like, Oh yeah, this movie exists. I forgot about like, I've seen it before and I hadn't, cause I, yeah, I hadn't seen it since I was nine. So when I watched it, so it was definitely interesting kind of seeing it, uh, you know, from two different perspectives from back then to, to now. So, yeah, I would definitely watch it again. Uh, that's kind of why I would say like six out of ten. It's not like it's not the worst movie in the world. Um, you know, it's entertaining. Um, you know, is it, is it my favorite movie? No, but it's something I would watch again. So maybe it'd be a qualified recommendation. So you'd mm-hmm. recommend it maybe to people who uh, love video games and can appreciate all the Nintendo games and all that stuff. And right. uh, maybe someone of that age or who enjoys like the eighties, early nineties vibe uh, really enjoys that time period of movies. Maybe. Right. Yeah. It's worth it watching at least once. Okay. That's great. Well, Strife, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, giving your perspective on all of that. Guys, I have Strife's links down in the description. Go to his channels, uh, subscribe, like his videos. He's got lots of great stuff, lots of great stuff to watch. Uh, And Strife, I want to thank you for for joining us today. And on social media, what's the best place people can find you? Sure. Um, So right now I'm kind of more active on my Instagram, uh, which is just Strife the Warrior. You can find me on Twitter as well. Um, I've kind of just been more focused on doing things in the background, so I haven't been super active lately, but uh, I do kind of lurk here and there. So this is the easiest way to find me. Absolutely. And if there's anything you'd like to see, let us know down in the comments if you have any thoughts on the movie The Wizard. Strife, thanks so much for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Sounds good. Hey, Ken, thanks for having me as always. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's always a pleasure to see you on KenCast, and we look forward to seeing you on our next live stream. See ya. Want to be part of the live KenCast show? Subscribe to the Ken Cole YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to get alerts about every new show. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast. Mm